Here's how it is. God exists. He made everything that is. And He made all those things good. Including you. Made in His image and likeness to be His friend forever. So you should have no worries, right? You should have no worries. Except for the chia seeds. Chia seeds are worrisome. You know what I'm talking about? You have any of these in your house? Like, I don't really know what they are. They first started showing up a couple years ago, and I was like, there are mouse turds in my fridge. I don't know why. The chia seeds confuse me. They're a detail that make my life difficult, because are you supposed to mix it in with the oatmeal or put it on top like a garnish? You ever felt this way? I don't understand. My wife is crazy. She puts them on everything. It's like hot sauce to her. There's chia seeds in my salad. There's chia seeds in my oatmeal. She'll try and sneak it into the smoothie, right? In my house, when she makes a smoothie, we kind of test her. We're like, Mom, how many bad things did you put in this smoothie? We're so twisted. (laughs) Is there any sour cream? Is there any chia seeds? We call the chia seeds chia pets. I just don't understand. And also, why do I have to eat them? She tries to explain to me, like, why they're good for me, and it just sounds gross. Supposed to do something, stick the things inside my body? I was like, that doesn't sound natural. <laughs> One thing I do know, they stick to my teeth. You know, this happened with Chia Pets, right? You go into a meeting the next day and people are looking at you funny. You're like, dang it, I have it. You know where they get stuck, like right there in between the two front teeth, like right up in there. Every time you eat Chia Pets, make sure you floss afterwards. Chia seeds, man, very confusing. I think they're the evidence of the fall of man because the death is in the details. One of those details just makes me a little like, I don't even understand. This is, she's got, anyway, she's like wheat germ, apparently, all kinds of crazy things. This leads me to ask you the following question. Are you drowning in the details of your difficult life? Like, for me, life would be easier if I didn't have to think about chia seeds. You know, that's just, I, I don't want to think about it. Are you drowning in the details of your difficult life? Maybe for you, it's not, you know, chia seeds. Maybe for you, it's your mortgage. Maybe for you, it's your job. Maybe for you it's your marriage. Well, if you are drowning in the details of your difficult life, it's my privilege to remind you this morning that you're not the only one. Take a look at Genesis 25 and you'll see what I mean. Abraham took another wife. If you're wise, you should be going, oh no. All right? Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She poured him Zimram, Yokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shushah. Yokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Letushim, and Lemumim. The sons of Midian were Efer, Epha, Hanok, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Ber Lachai These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, servant bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael named in the order of their birth. Nabaiot, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Abdil, Mizbam, 
Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Yetur, Nafish, and Kedama. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names, by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes, according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. That is like the worst English interpretation ever. Okay, it sounds like he was always at odds with his kinsmen. In the Hebrew, it was like, no, no, no. He died, and all his kinsmen were there to see him die. He died in the presence, in the face of all his kinsmen. So it's actually kind of a happy ending there for the story of Ishmael. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padan Aram, the sister of Lavan, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Where have we heard this before? And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Oh, boy. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out all red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they named his name Eshav, Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Yaakov, Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and Esau ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. If you're thinking, good luck preaching from that candle on, I appreciate your sympathy. When I first came to the Texas week, I was like, this is one of those chapters that there's really nothing good to preach. But as I spent some time working with it, the Lord was kind, and turns out there are a few things here to preach. Ain't no easy road. Even the patriarchs had problems. I was feeling it as I was reading it. Could you hear it as I was reading it? All the problems that are embedded in this text? All the family conflicts that are seated in this text? Ain't no easy road. Even the patriarchs had problems. But uh, don't let the details of your difficult life make you forget that you're part of a very big story. There's your thesis. That's what's going to be on the card next week. Don't let the details of your difficult life make you forget you're part of a very big story. Put simply, don't let the details break you. I got some tips for you from Genesis 25 to not let the details break you. Um, tip number one, you'll appreciate this, uh, stick to one wife. <laughs> and everybody said, <laughs> all the men said, amen. <laughs> all the women too, come to think of it, stick to one wife. Verse one, Abraham took another wife. By Yosef, and he added. It's like he's counting them up. He's stacking chips. By Yosef, he added another wife. One wife is hard enough, right? Am I right? It's difficult. Imagine three, right? Like, I don't want to think about that. Just think about like your daily routine and all the things you do for her. Think about having to do that three times. 
Think about your month and all the things that you do in the course of a month. And think about having to deal with those three times over. You see what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> you don't want to let the details break you. When it comes to your love life, keep it simple. Keep it simple. You're thinking, this is antiquated wisdom. Not really. Not really. You look at our culture, the concept of one man, one woman for life. It's not common. Not common. And then you look at the difficulties that exist in Western culture as a result of people rejecting the biblical pattern. Is Western culture less difficult or more difficult as a result of Western culture's wholesale ignorance of God's command when it comes to human sexuality? My kids were learning about, like, human papillomavirus in high school last week. This is not a problem with one man, one woman for life. Doesn't exist. Okay, I rest my case. It's fact, man, it's fact. The biblical pattern is one man, one woman, being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth and subduing it for life. That's the biblical pattern. Now, let me say, because this is the new me, it's a kinder, gentler Todd, you're like, really? We missed that. <laughs> okay, not everyone fits this pattern. All right? Not everyone fits this pattern. And that's okay. It's okay. Totally okay. Some people don't fit it for reasons of sexual orientation. Some people don't fit it for reasons of romantic difficulty. Some people don't fit it for reasons of uh, um, procreative difficulty. Some people no longer fit it for reasons of death and loss. Am I right? So it's okay. All right, if you don't fit the biblical pattern, it's okay. It's okay. I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. <laughs> okay, it's okay. You're welcome here and we love you. Hopefully I'm welcome with you and you love me also. And just because we don't all fit the biblical pattern does not mean that the biblical pattern is not what the biblical pattern is. This is where Christianity is difficult, right? You've got to hold these two in tension. You don't forsake the biblical pattern just because you're trying to be kind. You're trying to be kind because Jesus has been kind to you. And of course, we're not stupid. We recognize that the world is no longer a picture of Eden. So it would be sinful of us to act like it was. Well, and also, I wouldn't be allowed in. <laughs> i got to disqualify myself right away. Okay, so let's be careful to love and accept. I need you to accept me and love me. I'm not perfect. But that does not mean that the pattern is not the pattern. So why do I make that point? Well, as you deviate from the pattern, it's almost like in proportion to the amount that you deviate from the pattern, the difficulty of your life will increase. So think about it next time you have a decision to make when it comes to love and marriage, sex and intimacy. Because, you know, I think an easy life is better than a difficult one. Just saying. And there's increased difficulty in evidence in our text. It, it kind of keeps rolling. Consider verses 5 through 6. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines he gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward towards the east country. We have inheritance wars in the text. You ever experienced this? Do you know families who've gone through this? Especially difficult with wealthy families. My family's a ministry family. When my grandma Kerr died, she had nothing left. Like a few bits of furniture, 
And we're like, that's it, Grandma, enjoy Jesus, because that's all you got, right? Less difficult than some of the wealthy families I've done life with who fracture because they start fighting over the inheritance. I'm not making this up, right? You've heard of this in culture? Okay. So we see that this is a pattern. Abraham has inheritance wars. He gives everything to one son, and to the rest he gives gifts. Congratulations, here's a book. <laughs> I mean, they would have had books at the time, but you get the point. I got you some nice aftershave. Thanks a lot, Dad. What's Isaac getting? Okay, we as Christians tend to think about Isaac, right? We're fixated on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We tend to fixate on the biblical heroes. Think about the six sons of Keturah who got aftershave in their Christmas stocking. And because of this tension, I mean, the text doesn't say there's tension, but why else would Abraham be sending them away from Isaac? Because he wants to make sure that when the time comes for Isaac to inherit, he doesn't have any usurpers living within the context of the family clan. So on the one hand, you think this makes sense. Abraham's being wise. Now think about it from the perspective of the six sons of Keturah. Like, what did I do to deserve this? Baba doesn't say that they were bad guys, doesn't say they were jerks, doesn't say they were sinners, doesn't say they did anything to deserve banishment. But that's what happens to them, right? Imagine Abraham calls you into the tent that day, and you're like, hey, Todd, love you, buddy. It's been a good 45-year run. Now leave. Why? Because uh, Isaac is my chosen one. You probably swear in your mind. I just swore in my mind. Just imagining what it would be like to be that guy, right? You feel me? The Bible's hard to deal with. There's so much sorrow built into it. Inheritance wars, succession, management. He sent them away from his son Isaac. To cast. And he cast them away from over Isaac. Imagine if your father cast you away. Heck, maybe you have a father who cast you away. You're sitting here in church this morning going, that's me, I, I understand you, preacher. Well, wait for the hope a little later on. Because Jesus put that in the text just for you today. Too many wives, too many kids, too many inheritance issues, too much sibling rivalry, six sons cast away for one. This is difficult. So you want to not let the details break you? Trust God and keep it simple, resisting the urge to manage your own life. That's what Abraham's doing here. He's managing his own life. This son stays and gets everything. These sons go. Okay, resist the urge. Keep your life simple and resist the urge to manage your own life. That is, if you don't want to let the details break you. Why can I say this? Well, because I know about God's promise to Abraham. To whom did God's original promise to Abraham Connect. Well, to his wife Sarah and to the son of promise Isaac. Whose idea was adding Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant, to the equation? Sarah's idea. God didn't say, you know, Abraham, you need another concubine. No, this is Sarah's idea, taking matters into her own hands, and her stupid husband, Abraham, I'll meet him someday. I'll stand by what I said. I mean, if I was wrong, he'll slap me, and I'll be all right. Abraham could have said, that doesn't sound like a good idea. I understand women. 
that's not going to work out. You know, but maybe Hagar was foxy. Maybe she was 30 years younger than Sarah. He's like, all right, this would be cool. My wife said it's all right. Right? Like, there are many men who would think that way. You know, I would think that way. I'm like, cool. All right. I wasn't expecting this, but all right. Short-term thinking. Short-term thinking. <laughs> right? Dang. <laughs> Ooh, that, that's Sarah's idea, and Abraham went along with it. Hagar and Ishmael. Ketulah, that's Abraham's idea. And the six rejected sons, man, Abraham and Sarah did this. You don't want to let the details break you. Trust God for the long term and stay off the throne. I'll preach good. Because why did Sarah bring Hagar into the equation? Because she was impatient. Are you impatient? I'm impatient. I have a hard time with patience. The Lord was nice to me today. I did not get one red light the whole way from Old University to Grace. I was like, it's going to be a good day at church today. Jesus wants Pastor Todd to smile while he's preaching today. I'm impatient. I have a hard time. I sit at a red light. I, was, I take it personal, right? I'm guilty as charged. Okay, I, I'm guilty. Guilty, I say guilty. Right? Trust God for the long term and stay off the throne. I will admit it. I sometimes get out of the car and walk over and press the thing. I have done it. Stay off the throne, man. Stay off the throne. Whew, that'll preach. Keep in mind, <laughs> while you stay off the throne, that look, whether you're failing, like me, or succeeding, relatively speaking, because even if you're successful at being patient, it's only relatively successful. Right? <laughs> Dana Gamble's laughing, yes. She, like me, is an A-type personality. Patience. Whew. Right? So whether you're failing or succeeding, relatively speaking, what counts? God's kindness is what counts. It's his kindness that really matters. Consider verses 7 through 8. These are the days and the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years. Was gathered to his people. He died in a good old age and full of years. You know what this means literally from the Hebrew? He died satisfied. How about that? You want that for your life? I do. Because you're going to die. He died satisfied. The key to satisfaction is grace. What is grace? Grace is merit or favor that is undeserved. We see this all over the story of Abraham, right? God chose Abraham. Remember? God shows up out of nowhere. God chose Abraham. God came to Abraham. God led Abraham. God prospered Abraham. Even when Abraham was an idiot, and there are several times when he was, God delivered him, and God came through on his promise to Abraham in the person of Isaac, the chosen son. God acts. God does. God gives. God cares. God is the active agent here. God the Father sent God the Son into space-time history to become the man Jesus, to perfectly fulfill his will, never sinning once, and yet to go to a cross in the fullness of time, according to the Father's will, 
so that as he hung there, the Father might place on him the iniquity of us all, that he might pay the penalty for your sin and mine. That he might die, because the penalty for sin is death. So the death that you ought to die because of your sinfulness, Jesus died in your place. But because he's God the Son made flesh, he didn't stay dead, but he rose again the third day, defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever, doing something you could never do. And he ascended to his Father's right hand, sat down in victory, where even now he's interceding for you. He's a cheerleader. Cheerleader Jesus. He's going to come back from that seat one day to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom which will have no end, a kingdom in which you belong, your real home. When you go home, there'll be a house waiting for you that he built, a house that you didn't earn, that you don't deserve, but that's yours because of grace. The key to satisfaction is grace. You don't want to let the details break you. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember all is grace. And that you don't deserve anything good. I'm going to think on that when I next eat oatmeal with chia pets and blueberries. A little dash of maple syrup. Just enough sea salt to make it sing. I'm going to say, thank you, Lord, for this oatmeal. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve anything good. Be thankful for everything, because gratitude is godliness. It is. Remember that you're part of a collective. And keep making long-term investments. Verse 8, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. He's gathered to his people. This is a very encouraging phrase. Nikki was studying it last term in her master's work. And was gathered to his people. You know what the burial custom was in Abraham's time? They'd put you in a cave. And depending on the relative wealth of your clan, in this cave there would be beds. Sometimes they were like rudimentary benches. Sometimes they were actually like beds carved into the stone with a little like depression, like a little carved out section for the skull to rest in. And they would lay the bodies on the beds and they would let them rot, right? Which is what happens to our bodies after we die. The reason it's in a cave, though, is they would go in periodically to check on the bodies and once the bodies had completely rotted away and all that was left lying on the stone bed was a skeleton, they would take the bones, remove them, and put them underneath the beds in and amongst the bones of their ancestors. And now the beds are ready for the next generation. I've actually seen tombs like these in Israel. They exist to this day. He was gathered to his ancestors. I know we don't like to think about death, but I've always thought they're so lonely in that coffin all by themselves. Not in Jewish burial custom at the time. Kind of like this, right? They bury us as a family. I would rather my bones lie with your bones than lie alone. It wasn't until Hellenism, right, which is Greek culture, 
So Hellenism invaded Judaism hundreds of years later that the custom of burial boxes, coffins, came into practice. So they would still let your body rot, but now they'd figure because they, he's an individual, we're going to put his bones in his own box and label it. I actually found the bone box of Caiaphas, the high priest from the time of Jesus. It says actually Caiaphas on it. Buried in a tomb with the high priest, Koanim. Okay? He's got his own box. I would rather be gathered to my ancestors. You don't want to uh, let the details break you. Remember, you're not alone. We've lost this in our culture to a large degree. The Jews, they got this. You're part of a clan. You're part of a collective. You're part of a crew. The point for you, find your people and stick to them. Grace has historically been very good at this. Find your people and and stick to them. And remember, life is a long-term play. Where do they bury him? Verse 10, in the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. Let's do a little math here. When did he purchase this field? Abraham purchased the field in Genesis chapter 23. Isaac is 37 years old. Isaac marries Rebekah when he's 40. Isaac fathers Esau and Jacob when he's 60. Esau and Jacob are 15 when Abraham dies, meaning Isaac is now 75 years of age. Abraham bought the field before Isaac was married to Rebekah. 37 to 75, last time I checked my math, 38 years. The cave at Machpelah has been sitting Waiting for 38 years. 38 years. I know we all want instant gratification, but if you don't want to let the details break you, build your life with the long term in mind. That's like an anti-teaching in our culture these days. I got to wait 38 years? Maybe. Maybe longer. Build your life with the long term in mind and don't expect it to be easy. Take a look at verses 19 through 22. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padan Agam, the sister of Lavan, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah's wife conceived. The children struggled within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And Isaac prayed to the Lord because his wife was barren. Not this again. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? How long they had to wait for Isaac to show up? This is so ridiculous that many Bible scholars use this as a reason to say that the literary structure of Genesis in this context is mirroring. That they're mirroring the story of Isaac and the story of Abraham to emphasize how connected they are. And I understand the thinking because why else would it be possible that not only was Sarah barren, but now the second wife of the second patriarch is also barren? That's a little too obvious here. They must have been making it up to mirror the lives of the first two patriarchs. Okay, granted, that's possible. Or, God himself was at work here trying to teach them, and thousands of years later, you, a lesson. Could also be a both and. It's laughable, isn't it, how life always gets hard again? Can I get a witness? Right? You're like, everyone's happy, I've inherited everything. 
Now we're going to go ahead and <clears throat> fill the earth and subdue it. I'm the son of promise. What do you mean you're not pregnant? Still? I just figured this whole like running the clan thing out and you're, you can't get pregnant? What's wrong with you? Maybe she was saying that to him. Well, it's, it's you. What's wrong with you? Life is difficult, increasingly so. You figure the chia seeds out, and now she wants you to do side plank. <laughs> I don't know if you've done side plank, but it hurts. It hurts. I would do it here, but it's, I, have my, I have my dignity. <laughs> you don't want the details to break you. Remember that life is like a sine wave. You know the sine wave? Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. That's, that's your life. It's a sine wave, up and down. But, God comes through, though. Verse 21, and the Lord granted his prayer. Up and down, up and down. But God comes through, though. The Lord granted his prayer. Side note, notice how quickly God comes through for Isaac? At least if you're reading the text at face value, she can't get pregnant. He prays about it. She gets pregnant. Abraham would have been very upset about this. I had to wait 20, 28 years. Right? Side note, remember the words of Aslan in the Narnia Chronicles, of course, the Christ figure. What was he always telling the Pevensey kids? Whenever they get all uppity about someone else having it easy, he'd say to them, child, that's their story. You can stay focused on your own story. Don't worry about other people's stories. Each day has enough trouble for itself, right? I'm so glad I get to preach this sermon again in half an hour. So fun. You don't want to let the details break. You remember that God comes through. Even then, it's no easy road. Verse 22 so she's pregnant. All right, that's a good thing. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, if this is thus, why is it happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Can you relate? You ever felt that way? Like, why is this happening to me? I'm trying to obey you, Lord. I'm trying to act right. I'm trying to do what you call me to do. I'm trying to be obedient by God's grace. I'm not perfect. You know it. I know it. But I'm trying to abide in you. I'm trying to love Jesus and love people. Why is my life always so difficult? Why is this happening to me? So I want to use this point from the text to tell you something very encouraging. You are not the most miserable, forsaken, hard-done-by person who ever lived. Right? You're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. From their own perspective, everyone feels like their life is hard. The poor man is stressed out because he can't find a job. The rich man is stressed out because he can't find any good employees. The poor woman is stressed out because she can't send her kid to all the activities. The rich woman is stressed out because no matter how many high-priced therapists she sends her son to, he just can't seem to kick his addiction. Does anybody feel me in this house today? Nobody's life is perfect. Everybody has problems. Everybody has problems, like family tension. This shows up in verses 27 through 28. When the boys grew up, 
Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Dad loves Esau. Mom loves Jacob. Esau was a dude. He's a dude. Harry kills things. Dwelling in the fields. My kind of guy. Jacob? <laughs> I didn't want to do this with like a pejorative kind of thing, so I'm going to use a different word than I was going to use. I'll use the biblical word. Jacob <laughs> was tasty. He's tasty. He was a gentleman. Literally, the Hebrew word is tam, which is the root of tamim, which means tasty. I have to do it. He was fabulous. <laughs> he was fabulous. He's, he's dwelling in tents. Not a hair out of place. Looks good. Soft hands. Smells nice. We probably consider him a little excessively feminine. Me and Esau. We're like, you need to play some football. Let's go. He's like, I'll mess up my robe. <laughs> this is awesome, right? You have multiple kids. You're like, one is very different from the other. I don't understand. I raised them all the same. Problem is, dad loves Esau, mom loves Jacob. In Hebrew, it's hilarious. You know why dad loves Esau? Literally in the Hebrew, because his face was stuffed with his game. Huh? Esau's always killing stuff, bringing it home to dad, and dad liked to eat meat. <laughs> You're like, that's crazy. This is the patriarch? These people are crazy. And then mom loves Jacob because he's <laughs> flawless. Tasty. Tasty man. Tasty man. <laughs> And God told her something about Tasty Man. What did God tell her? God told her that the older, the hairy one who likes to play football, is going to serve the younger one, the artist who stays indoors. So mom's like, all right. God said it. I believe it. The point is we got problems. We got family problems. We got issues, man. Look at verses 29 through 34. Once when Jacob was cooking stew. And he cooks! My boys started cooking this month. Gabriel, my nephew, and Sammy, they cooked dinner last week. We're like, oh, like angels showed up. It was crazy. And it was really good. Because I know a thing or two about the world. I say, yo, you put that on Snapchat, the women going to come running. <laughs> Y'all good looking, nice, and you cook. Woo! Let's go. All right? So Jacob's this, this man. This man is cooking. Once when Jacob was cooking, he looking nice, wearing his apron, real men cook. Wearing a nice apron. He's cooking. Esau comes in from the field stinky and tired. He's exhausted. He says, hey, let me eat some of that red stew for him. Exhausted. Therefore, his name is called Edom. Edom comes from Adom, which means red, and the lentil stew was red stew. He must have mixed in some tomatoes. Jacob said, okay, sell me your birthright now. Esau's like, what? I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob says, swear to me now. So stupid old Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his heritage. So worship team, I'm almost done. Give me like one minute to get through this, and then come on and join me. We got grandparent problems. Grandpa's messed up, got too many wives. Grandma's messed up, fighting with each other all the time. Parents have problems, right? One likes the one, the other likes the other. The kids have problems. Esau is a short-term glutton. Jacob is a crafty usurper who looks too good and smells too nice to be trusted. 
It's problems. Verse 32, Esau, short-term glutton. Look, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? All right, this is hyperbolic and very short-term thinking. You don't want to let the details break you. I know it sounds silly, but avoid hyperbole and short-term thinking. You always leave the toilet seat up. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Put it down yourself. Don't say always. Make a joke about it. You know, honey, it was really fun sitting down on that cold porcelain seat. You rat. <laughs> you don't come at him like, right? <laughs> Avoid hyperbole and short-term thinking. Like, in the long term, the toilet seat, your sons are going to leave it up in 15 years. Like, you've got a long road ahead. You might as well calm down. Esau had a birthright. Okay, he's part of a very big story, but he despised it for some lentil stew. Don't miss this point. A very minor detail broke him. Don't let it happen to you. Keep it simple. Resist the urge to manage your own life. Trust God. <clears throat> Stay off the throne. Remember Jesus and God's grace and be thankful as a result, because gratitude is godliness. Remember, you're not alone. Remember to build your life with a long-term view. And don't forget that life is a sine wave. It's up and down, but God comes through. Even so, remember that everyone has problems. Nobody's perfect, so avoid hyperbole and short-term thinking. And eat your chia seeds and do your side plank. And remember, God exists. He made everything that is and made it good, including you, made in God's image and likeness to be his friend forever. So you got no worries.